Welcome to the show where we interview our network of B2B SaaS experts. In this episode, Chris Totman, co-founder of Notion Capital, on taking everything he learned as an entrepreneur to invest in founders in Europe. This is the Notion Capital Podcast, hosted by Paul Papadimitriou. Hi, I'm Paul, and today I have Chris with me. Hi, Chris, how are you? I'm really well, thanks. Obviously, we should have Chris on the show, because who are you, Chris? Uh, I'm a founder of uh, Notion Capital, who are a B2B, <laughs> B2B SaaS-only venture capital firm based out of London. We founded Notion in 2009 after the sale of Message Labs, which was uh, one of the biggest B2B SaaS exits in Europe. It's a security business that we founded in '99, and we sold to Symantec in uh, the end of 2008. So it's yeah, October 2008, that's correct, yes. You are first and foremost an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So you still have that bug within you? Yeah, I mean, there are different depths of entrepreneur. You know, there are some that are completely mad and crazy. <laughs> and then there are some that are less so. And then you get some, I think, that you would classify as intrapreneurs, people that are good at the, maybe just after a company's founded and they're good at being entrepreneurial or creative inside a company rather than the person that uh, absolutely starts or has the mad, crazy idea of trying to turn the world upside down. You know, Which one of those were you? Uh, well, I think I am more the entrepreneur moving to intrapreneur. I like to have something more than nothing to play with, if you see what I mean. Are those the kind of entrepreneurs you're looking after, or is it? Or are you very open-minded about the kind of entrepreneurs you work with? I think it's a bit more like a sort of um, more of a love affair. You meet individuals who you gain a rapid kind of connection with, uh, and they're very different. If I look at all the entrepreneurs that we've invested in, or the ones that I've personally led and invested in, they're all very, very different. Typically, they're not sole entrepreneurs. They typically invest in, you know, two, two or more. You know, they're very, very different. There normally needs to be something that is further out on the spectrum, if you like, that makes them unique. Uh, a kind of, of kind of grit and character. Yeah, I think you know when you when you meet entrepreneurs when they've left the room. When I coach entrepreneurs when they're raising money, it's like when you leave the VC's room, how have you left the room? Like, what's the emotional condition of the VC committee? We had this with Christian, who's the founder of TradeShift. I mean, he came in the room, he pitched to us. This is a phenomenal entrepreneur. And when he left the room, and then I think it was Ben or Steve came back, who was the sponsor from the lift and said, how do you think that went? We all went, I don't really have any idea exactly how this is going to be successful, but that guy is going to be so successful. Whatever the rules are, we need to find a way to put money into that company. That's how real... Deep entrepreneurs, the real geniuses, you know, that's when they communicate really, really well. That's the kind of impact that they can have on an audience. And if that audience happens to be a VC, then that's the sort of, that can drive a lot of value. Uh, if it's an audience called a customer or, you know, partnerships or an industry event, then, then they could do that as well. So, I mean, that's just how entrepreneurs are very different in terms of the way they communicate. Others, for example, are very quiet. So when they leave the room, there's almost this invisible aura or power or this sort of deep intellect that they've, you know, they've made me feel sh completely stupid. I think, imagine if I had <laughs> half the horsepower or maybe just a third of the horsepower. They're not actually overly communicative. They just have something, an aura about them. You know, they come in very different shapes and sizes. 
Um, but generally, when you meet one that you think is going to have a profound impact on business um, and their market space, then you typically can you can spot that. On Notions Capital's website, you have the top 10 indicators of a winning business. So the first rule is crystal clear vision. So is that something you always are looking after as well? My career spanned about four different industries. And so when I you know, became a VC in 2009, I go through this thing that you start as a player, then you become a coach, and then you become a mentor. So if you start a new industry, I immediately throw away everything that I've learned, and I start to try and learn again. So learn the VC playbook, and then... And as an entrepreneur, you then layer in your own uh, weirdness, if you like, into that playbook that creates your point of differentiation and the way that you go about investing. So what I've come to is really around where do I spend most of my time with founders when I'm thinking about what I'm going to invest in? Probably the place I spend most of my time is in strategy, the big overarching framework about how do you build a very big company. How do you build a big outcome, which is what a VC needs to be able to create? You obviously have to wrap a lot under a strategy framework. It could be all sorts of things around pricing, go to market and so on and so forth. But that's where I spend the most of my time with companies before I invest and after I invest. Most investors talk about team, team, team and team. They're the three or four things is the reasons why they invest. So with my background, similarly, I spend a lot of time there. Um, and so when I'm coaching, I'm quite often coaching around uh, the organizational strategy. Typically, we'll invest in a company that's um, got two founders, you know, maybe 10, 12 people. If we have a home run, you know, like Message Labs, which was um, 150 million of subscription, 20,000 corporate customers, 10 million paying subscribers. It had a board that had more than 12 people on it. So we went from idea and no one to... 12 people to 12 people on the board. And so our home runs will be no different. But how do you sequentially go through those different points of scaling? At Notion, typically, I'm the guy that you come to uh, or they come to when, when we're thinking about that. So at the point of investment, I think about the fact that I'm investing in a, what I call a billion-dollar hippo. And in HR terms, that's somebody that's got high potential to create a billion-dollar opportunity. Now, in Europe, there aren't very many people that have been there and done that. It's a tiny ecosystem of people that have actually generated billion dollar companies in, in cloud or B2B SaaS. So you start with the hippos and then you add the high, you add to the high potentials, the people that you really think can help exploit that opportunity with those founders. Was there, what made you feel that you needed to invest in those and how involved are you with it, which each one of them? Um, I think, so if I take those two areas, just strategy and team, then I suppose the big one that's missing, you know, we, we're investing in what I call the valley of death. And that is B2B SaaS companies in Europe that have got less than a million in revenue that have the potential to grow very rapidly. The growth investors uh, are investing at sort of 10 million uh, revenues and above, still growing very rapidly, somewhere, you know, north of 100%. They have a wall of money, a huge amount of money. Um, their problem is that they don't have enough great companies to invest in. When they get to that point, they'll compete over those companies. So there's a big, if you like, um, failure rate between you know point A there and point B. But you know, I'm never investing in a company purely because I think they've got the right strategy. The team's clearly a really, really important thing. One of the things for me that's really, really important is the pain versus the proposition. And what I mean by that is that there are, very few problems that are worth solving that satisfy the investor 
and an ambitious founder. In any horizontal vertical use case, there are very, very few. There might be one problem that's worth solving that could kick off a really, really big outcome for everybody. So I'm really interested in finding out what that one big problem is. I find that 99% of founders are spending too much time trying to satisfy the original hypothesis of their idea and making them prove that that was the right idea. Rather than I think where some founders are brilliant is they find themselves in an environment or an idea or a problem. What they're really looking for is the problem whilst they're there that they should fundamentally be solving. And then they build something really elegant that, that scales really rapidly around that particular problem, which quite often has got nothing to do with, the original with their plan. original hypothesis. And I think that is really, really important. They make that particular problem their life's work that will transform an industry. And I think that's quite often what, what I'm looking for in the sort of the little bit of magic sauce and the stuff that I invest in. Do you mean that you would only invest in this 0.1% if I use your number? Or would you also help if, if you spot uh, founders that are clearly very good, uh, but they are still maybe stuck in that original hypothesis? Would you go and be involved in trying to help them overcome that kind of mental block? It's a very, very, very good question. I think people that have worked on deals with me know this is when I talked about the fact that I spend most of my time in that sort of high level strategy discussion, then I do that before I do a deal. So effectively, the way I think about managing deal flow is the fastest way for me to to understand what it is that I like and don't like about a market or an opportunity or a team is effectively to start to create strategy workshops around that opportunity. So what has absolutely happened is that I've created, you know, with the team, a strategy workshop with that founder, with their team, with some externals come in to work on that hypothesis that they're talking about, that they're pitching to us. And in that process, quite often, you know, you're getting major pivots that are happening during the deal flow process that I end up investing in an entirely different hypothesis than the one that was originally pitched to me. Equally, what occasionally happens is they go off and they raise that money from somebody else, which, you know, we're very founder centric, <laughs> right? I'm an entrepreneur. I love entrepreneurs. That's absolutely cool by me. The most important thing for me is that I understand the investment that I'm making and they get the right investment partner that they want. We can work out, you know, the twos and throws about, you know, the pricing and the terms and the stuff like that. But if my process is onerous for them and doesn't add any value, then it doesn't really feel like a good fit for us. You, you know, maybe I'm the wrong investment partner for them. You know, I desperately want to understand the opportunity. I desperately want to add value to, the, to that opportunity before I make that investment, if you see what I mean. Not make the investment and then, and then be very remote or have a personality that's a bit like me going to visit my headmaster you know, when I was at school or whatever, which, you know, I think sometimes is the challenge that you have with certain types of boards, for example. It's too much about managing your board. Do, do you help shape those boards? Yeah, I think once you've made the investment that you have a role to play, which is delicate, comes back to that coaching. It's, you know, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. There are people that are spending 365 days a year working on the problem, trying to spin up the right projects to deliver the right value. It's wrong for me to think about the fact that I might be the smartest guy in the room that's got all the answers. It's about the ability for you to use your pattern recognition to enable them to challenge the right things, build multiple hypotheses about how they might execute that, encourage them to 
execute at the right pace, uh, what to double down on and what to stop doing. So just the same as people are spending too much time maybe trying to prove their original hypothesis rather than focusing on genuine challenge for an industry. Once they're into that challenge of that industry, quite often then on a smaller scale, they want to hold on to their, you know, their next hypothesis or their next, maybe that's a project or maybe that's a feature. It's trying to encourage them to focus on the right things at the right time. You become much more of a coach. You become much more of somebody that is uh, sitting, um, uh, you know, around them, helping them, advising them, not somebody that's telling them what to do, which is, you know, fundamentally wrong. Are all the members of your team at Notion, do they have the same type of engagement with the teams or are you think you're an outlier because you used to be an entrepreneur? Well, no, most people, you know, are on the entrepreneurial axis at some point or another. All of the partners have built companies on, on multiple occasions, but we all have, a, we have a functional breadth. We've got somebody like me that comes from, you know, a sales and a distribution background who weirdly ended up in HR for the final part of, uh, of us uh, exiting Message Labs, um, you've got Steve, who's really, really creative, super smart finance guy, along with Ian. And then you've got Joss, who's very big in brand and product and ran Message Labs in the US. So, you know, you've just got this sort of breadth of experience. But, you know, we're all very, very similar in terms of our sort of the DNA. We founder centric. You know, we want to understand the challenges that they've got. We accept those challenges because we understand the challenges that we had. So, you know, we have more empathy towards, you know, what they're going through and, uh, and then, you know, maybe behave slightly differently than some investors as a consequence. Maybe sometimes that works for us. Maybe sometimes, you know, that works against us. So. Uh, you just mentioned before that uh, you wanted to understand specifically the product before going the hypothesis and seeing the challenge of the market. Did you really know about all these type of challenges before? Or did you have to educate yourself, learn from others, maybe even outside of Notion Capital before making an investment decision? Very, very good question. Rarely do we actually understand the domain that that company is operating in to the degree that is required in order to make that investment. So where we're really fortunate is, you know, we have a very, very, very big network of B2B SaaS people. We created Message Labs in 98. As I said, we had 650 people. We're generation one SaaS founders. You know, I feel like now the world is in generation three. So, you know, we had a big advantage in the fact that we had a big network of people that really understand the sort of business model of SaaS. But, you know, did we know the business model of call center when we invested in New Voice Media? The answer is absolutely not. So what's interesting about New Voice Media is we got interested in call center because of the Message Labs VP Asia, the GM for Asia, on a call that I had with him said, what do you think about call center for SaaS? And when someone says that, they obviously know something that you don't know. So I just said, well, what do you think about call center SaaS? And he said, I'm just, just going to be a really big area. You know, it's, it's cool traffic, it's mashing up data. You know, this is a this is really a cloud problem. He happened to have a cloud business in call center in Australia that he'd seen. And that piqued my curiosity. No word of a lie, two, three weeks later, I got a call for New Voice Media. I have this call center SaaS business in the M4 corridor. What do you think? Do you want to come have a look at it? And it was kind of like, where are my car keys? Not, you know, let me think about that. So, and um, so then we had to really try and understand and, and build our own hypothesis about um, what we thought about the call center space, where we thought they were in at that space, and then how do we think that between us and them we could kind of generate, you know, a big outcome for that. And it really started quite quite modest about getting the product market fit right, adding two real serious players to the team, 
that we felt that could, you know, really be the heartbeat of that company. One guy that had run sales for us at Message Labs globally, um, so been in and around our team for nearly 10 years, who's now the CEO and, you know, a CFO that could really help us get all of the metrics right, you know, raise the right, the right amount of money, just, you know, set the right kind of economic course, if you see what I mean. And, um, but we, 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 we genuinely just had a strong sense that it was a big market for cloud, which is translated to be true. And then it was a question in this case of actually rolling our sleeves up and, and adding some of those billion dollar hippos that we talk about that could really help unlock the opportunity. So I generally tend to find that we have a sense about a market, but we don't know enough about it. But we use our network and our experts to kind of help us. You say on your website that you break your own rules uh, occasionally. You said you invest traditionally in the valley of death, a seed series A. You just invested a series B, a co-invest in series B in Workable. Uh, can you just give us two words about that and why you did so? Well, I think Workable is really, really interesting. It's not a deal that I've sponsored. It was sponsored by Chris Crisanthu. I was actually on holiday when it came across my desk, uh, which I, I immediately broke my holiday to pour through their deck. I was in Cornwall where there's almost zero connectivity, both mobile and internet. And so, uh, you know, I was finding local car parks to make conference calls from. But I think um, I don't believe that HR has been solved. And I think HR comes from a background of factories and large industry where it was all about business process. So when I say the words ERP or HR, you think about these monolithic, unsexy workflow applications that you get forced to join. The future is really driven around the individual's needs. If you're a patient, you are going to end up with a patient account for your healthcare. If you're an employee, you are going to be treated like an individual and you are going to define the way that you spend the budgets that the company allows you to spend. And what I mean by that is just like you do, for example, your benefits, you know, single people that like going out at night and uh, enjoying themselves don't want death in service benefits. They, they want to have an <laughs> amount of budget allocation that they get to spend on the things that are important to them. HR in terms of um, HR function and the technology wrapped around hiring people, retaining people, you know, just fundamentally for me, is just a really an open, an open generation three place where, you know, I think some really, really, really big businesses are going to get kicked off. I think what was really, really exciting about Workable was the unit economics, the team, you know, and the fact that, you know, there are companies in their droves that are adopting the platform that are hiring many people or one person and if it's one person then they come back again and again and again i think you know that customer success if you like was one of the kind of exciting things about, about that opportunity aligned to the fact it's a market that i think fundamentally is just an open field still so i'll finish with one last question uh so you just mentioned that the future is uh centered on individual needs you seem at notion in yourself being centered around founders needs so very founder centric I know it's a million dollar question, but probably some people in the audience are always like, how do I get to, you know, get a meeting at Notion Capital? How do I get to meet Chris, maybe? So, I mean, of course, you have an entire team, you have a, your deal flow is organized, but what would you say to him or her? Well, I think it's the same advice I give to our founders or, you know, first of all, you know, what are the, who are the investors that you want 
to have. It's amazing the amount of times that founders go off and they say that they're getting really good traction with a particular VC, which is the name of the firm. But then a few weeks later, they realize that that's the partner that really likes consumer deals, not B2B <laughs> deals or has a penchant for you know something other than what they are. And there's another partner that would be a better fit. So I think you've really got to make um, you know, some conscious choices about uh, which firms and which partners that you want to go speak to. And then the other thing is just the, the advice that I give is the way that I react when something comes into my inbox. If I get insight into a deal from a particular person, then my reaction is, where are my car keys? Um, if I get it from somebody else, I might think, I'll leave that till next week and I'll come back to it. What that's telling you is it's like, you know, the people that refer you into a venture capital partner are actually quite important to both sides of that equation. One, in terms of your preparedness, and two, in terms of their brand and the way that that brand's perceived by that venture firm or that venture partner. If John Bradford sends me an email about an, an interesting startup, then it feels more like, where are my car keys? So to get to me is that, you know, is you can email me, but I think sometimes it's better to talk to some of the people that I know and and talk about how ready they are, you know, how might they pitch to me and what are the sort of things that I'm interested in that, that make that in, that conversation much more interesting. Yeah, it comes back to what you said earlier about you're using, you're leveraging all this expert network around you guys. Mm. On that, Chris, I would like to thank you. No, that's and, great. Listen, thank you. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate the interview. And uh, well, we'll see you uh, in the next episode. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.